This is a production of WEDU PBS, Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota. Next on WEDU, Florida mayors try to stop another power grab by Tallahassee. Will taxpayers be on the hook for the governor's move against Disney? Housing in Florida is the least affordable in the nation, and the governor vetoes a bill that would make solar customers pay more. All this and more next on Florida This Week. Welcome back. 21 Florida mayors, including nine from the Tampa Bay, Central Florida area, are asking Governor DeSantis to veto legislation that they say will have a chilling effect on their ability to pass laws favored by their constituents. The bill in question is SB 620, also called the Local Business Protection Act. It would allow businesses to seek damages from local governments if they can prove any newly passed local ordinance caused the business to lose 15 percent or more in income in one year. The legislature passed the bill March 9th. It awaits the governor's signature. In their letter, the group of mayors contend the bill will prevent local governments from passing responsible and popular local laws affecting an array of issues, including protecting the environment and making housing more affordable to public health and vacation rental rules. Ida Escamani is a political advocate and organizer, and she's here on behalf of 20 community, religious, and labor groups that are also asking the governor to veto the bill, SB 620. And Ida, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you represent about 20 uh, environmental groups and civic groups that are opposed to this. What's the worst that could happen if this bill goes into effect? Absolutely. So the letter that we signed uh, alongside so many different community organizations really echoes what the mayors have already noted. You know, this is an extreme policy that hands over the keys of our cities and counties to corporate lawyers. And to your question of what the worst that can happen, uh, a long list of popular, important local laws that are passed by local taxpayers are at risk. Uh, and taxpayers like us put the bill. The way this bill is written is, is that a business can sue for damages if uh, a local law impacts 15% of their profit. And that there's no limit to what type of local law that is. And ultimately, it would chill the, the key job of local government, which is to serve the people. So we're talking about businesses, let's say, for instance, uh, bar hours. If, if a bar is forced to close earlier because of a noise ordinance or because people don't want bars open later and the bar claims that 15 percent of its business is lost because of the earlier closing time, that bar can sue. Absolutely. Well, and that is part that is uh, one uh, area that you could argue this bill would impact. But Ultimately, these local laws are passed in collaboration with the business community. And nowhere in this bill does it limit the impact of the bill to small businesses, for example. So large out-of-state global corporations can come in and sue under this law. And we actually had amendments. Their lawmakers introduced amendments to limit the scope to small businesses, for example. Those amendments were rejected by leadership. And so, you know, we all love and support small businesses. But it's important to note that these type of local laws are passing in collaboration with the local business community and with uh, everyday people. We all want to support local businesses, but uh, profits should not be the motivating factor for government and local in public service. We have to find a balance that also protects people, protects 
the environment, the things that we love. And the scope of this bill, it's noise ordinances, it's light pollution when it comes to sea turtles, uh, any local animal protections, such as regulations on puppy mills would be impacted, uh, affordable housing, as already noted, uh, local policies protecting LGBTQ youth would be impacted. Uh, and it really protects some of the worst actors, this policy is written in a way that incentivizes bad business practices and punishes those businesses that are doing the right thing. The sponsor of the bill says that it will impel governments to more carefully consider how the new rules they pass will affect local industry. And what, well, what do you say to that? Yeah, I would look at the lobbyist registration behind this bill. It's been supported by some of the biggest corporations in the state. This is designed to chill local governments from doing what's best for local taxpayers and charging local taxpayers. You know, the governor just passed another tax increase on the residents of Orange County. This is another tax increase. And that's why groups like Tax Watch, which are conservative leaning, actually oppose this legislation too. This is an extreme idea that is costing, that will cost taxpayers even more money to defend laws that local taxpayers support. So here in the Tampa Bay area, among the mayors that have signed on to the letter opposing this law, uh, the Lakeland mayor, the Dunedin mayor, the Pinellas Park mayor has signed on. But I'm wondering, hasn't Tallahassee already done a lot of local preemption when it comes to labor laws, when it comes to gun laws, when it comes to environmental laws? They've already preempted local government from enacting local ordinances. How, how is this different from what they've already done? It's an excellent point. There are countless state mandates that Tallahassee has enforced on Floridians. Our hands are already tied in numerous ways when it comes to passing local laws that fit the unique needs of our communities. We know that the panhandle is so unique and special and different compared to Miami Beach, for example. And so our community should have the power to pass those local laws. So these state mandates have been coming through and they continue to. And you know, the irony is, Supporters of this bill said this is the bill to end all preemptions. When we pass this, the state legislature no longer has to pass preemption. Well, I'm sure it comes to no surprise to anybody that leadership also put forward several preemption bills this session as well. Uh, it seems like Tallahassee wants to center everything in Tallahassee and they think they know best. And we would argue that everyday people, uh, they, know best what's, they know what's best for their towns and their cities and we should put the power back into people's hands. In your letter, you say that this is an unprecedented attempt to undercut constitutional rights. Um, what, what's left for local government to do if, if there, there's already a, a pro, pro, prohibition on some local ordinances mandated by Tallahassee, and now there's lawsuits involved in local uh, ordinances? What's left for local government to do? And we only have 30 seconds. Uh, it's an excellent question, and local governments are, are fighting right now to make sure that they can serve the folks that elected them, you know. Uh, Tallahassee should trust their constituents to do what's right. We have elections for a reason. If your local government is not serving your needs, you can reelect people that do. And Tallahassee politicians should embrace that idea as well and let their constituents decide what's best for them. Well, Ida Eskamani, thanks for coming on Florida This Week. Thank you for having me. Joining us now on our panel this week, Sean Shaw is an attorney, former candidate for Florida Attorney General and a Democrat. Deborah Tamargo is the immediate past president of the Florida Federation of Republican Women. And Rosemary Goodrow O'Hara is the former editorial page editor for the South Florida Sun Sentinel. Great to have you all here. Well, last week during the special session, the Republican-controlled state legislature rushed a bill through that repeals the special district that governs Walt Disney World as punishment for the company's opposition to the parental rights or don't say gay law. 
and legislators may have left taxpayers on the hook for hundreds of millions of dollars. Back in 1967, as Disney was planning to build its theme park near Orlando, the state agreed that the special taxing district created to give the Disney Corporation the right to self-governance could not be abolished unless the district's bond debt plus interest was paid off. Tax experts and local government officials say this means that theoretically, Orange and Osceola County residents will now be forced to take on about a billion dollars in bond debt currently held by the company. So far, the governor has not said how he plans to fix the problem. The governor did some campaigning earlier this week, helping a senatorial candidate out west in the early presidential primary state of Nevada. from the Sunshine State, the Freedom State, and the state that has done more than any other state to stand up to Joe Biden and his floundering administration. And the Democrats running to challenge DeSantis this November all appeared at a forum in Bradenton last weekend, sponsored by the Manatee County Democrats, where they were asked what they think about the governor. Who goes after Mickey Mouse? It's unconscionable. I mean, this, uh, what Disney World is an institution, a revered institution in Florida and in America. Is he that anti-business? Or Rob, is he that anti-free speech? that they can't voice their opinion on an issue or a piece of legislation? It's shocking. I was the first person who actually called him a dictator in this, after the special session, after session in 2020. Everybody thought I was out of my mind. Oh my God, you just called the governor a dictator. Well, look what's now happened in the last two years. He's living up to the name that we've all called him. And I saw it the first time, saw it the first time when I had to walk out of a cabinet meeting in 2019, when he refused to have a public hearing for an appointment into the cabinet. And I thought that they were breaking sunshine. He must protest and stand up and say, no, 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 we will not watch our democracy go down. We will not delete seats when our constitution and the voters spoke overwhelmingly to say what we needed to do to draw those maps. So we, this race is about something so much bigger. It is about democracy. So, Sean, let's uh, talk about Disney for a second. Did the governor and the legislature, did they think this through? And are taxpayers in Osceola and Orange County on the hook uh, for perhaps a billion dollars in Disney bond debt? That's a great question, Rob, because if they did think it through, then it's even worse than if they did not think it through, right? So uh, as we get further away from this special session, I think it's become clear that the legislature does not have the authority to do what they attempted to do. They have not figured out how they're gonna pay off this bond prior to abolishing the special district. And as you said, you've gotta, you've gotta pay off the bond money before you can abolish the special district, which means they've got to do something before what they did in special session even matters. And so what I think this shows is the performative art that has become politics up in Tallahassee. Uh, we make a big show of doing something, we do something, and then we can't do it and nothing really happens. And so, um, but until they figure out how 
to pay off this bond money that those taxpayers are at risk for thousands and thousands of increase in taxes. Uh, and it is, it's scary. To, uh, like I said, I don't know what's worse, that they thought it through or that the legislature allowed the governor to bully them into doing something that was not thought through. Deborah, are those taxpayers in Orange and Osceola on the hook? Absolutely not. In fact, no one has decided anything. The only thing the legislature did do, okay, and it's right in here in the bill, is call for a review. And the legislature voted on a bill that the governor signed to provide for uh, Reedy Creek, which is Disney, and five or six other independent districts who have not met their review requirements to give them additional time. They missed several review dates. 2004 was one, 2005. And they have now given them to 2023 to meet the review requirements. So that's all this bill did. And no decisions have been made firmly. No one's on the hook for anything. The review will come prior to the next session and decisions will be made at that time. So it's a very methodical process and nothing has been firmly decided. Uh, Rosemary, this law does not go into effect uh, until 2023, as, as Deborah just said, but does that, uh, I mean, does that, do you think the governor has thought this through and might the, the governor and legislature have second thoughts before we get around to next year? I think it would be hard for him to roll back the position that he's taken and that some kind of change will happen, whether that transfers some of this bond debt or tax obligation to pay for roads and sewer and firefighters in the district, whether that goes to Lake Buena Vista or not. I think, um, though Deborah's right, that it doesn't take effect till 2023. The governor's been very clear about what his intentions are, and that, and the legislature as well, and that is that Disney will pay a price for going against um, what he wanted, and that they passed this bill. Um, without understanding the consequences, without digging into the details and asking the questions of how does this work exactly, just shows how the, the legislature is this go-along acquiescent body to a, the strongest governor Florida has ever seen who really listens to his own counsel. Let, let me ask you about the two views of freedom that we saw there. We saw the governor say that he represents the freedom state, the free state of Florida. And we also saw Nikki Freed call the governor a dictator. And Sean Shaw, I want to start with you. This, this idea that Florida has a tremendous amount of freedom that could be exported to other parts of the country if Ron DeSantis becomes president, I think that's what he's going to campaign for president on. How do you view what, you know, when the governor says we're the freedom state, how do you view that? We're not the freedom state if you're a woman and you want the right to choose. We're not a freedom state if you're a local government and you want to do things that you think are best for your locality when the legislature tells you you can't do it. We're not the freedom state if you're a school board uh, and the legislature shoves down your throat what they think is best for curriculum uh, as opposed to what you might think as a school board member. Certain segments of this state, I think, would very much have a problem with being uh, being called that they uh, the freedom state and that they live in it. And so I think it really depends on who you're talking to and what you're talking about. But this session was not about freedom. It was about retribution. It was about revenge. And it was about punishment. That's what this session represented, not freedom. 
All right, Deborah, what would you say? Freedom versus dictatorship uh, or the governor acting it like a dictator? Well, I think that Nikki Freed, uh, her choice of words uh, are not professional. It certainly doesn't uh, set her up to be a governor of Florida. Um, what I believe is that the taxpayers, they are the bosses. We owe them a review. The review was in the original document, and it's time that we review all of the independent districts, which are in the bill, that have not been properly reviewed. We owe it to the taxpayers. And that's what this year is about. There have been no decisions. All they, the bill says is that the review will take place during this next year of all of those independent districts that have missed their deadlines. Okay. Well, let's move on to another topic. CBS News reported this week that Florida has become the least affordable place to live in the U.S., and it's all because of the high cost of housing. Rents, which are rising by double digits nationwide, are ballooning even more here in Florida. Fueled by a surge of people who relocated to the state during the pandemic, Florida's population is growing faster than any state but Texas. In the one year between 2020 and 2021, 300,000 people moved to the Sunshine State. Miami, Orlando, and Tampa have the fastest growing rents in the country over the past year. The weather, Florida's environment, and low taxes are drawing more and more people to the state. Tampa is a strong draw, especially for people moving from New York City and Washington, D.C. Although Florida is increasingly attractive as a place to live for many Americans, the influx is squeezing many longtime residents, especially low-paid service industry workers and older residents on a fixed income. The state explicitly prohibits rent control, which could put a cap on skyrocketing rents. I want to ask all three of you, but Deborah, let's start with you. Why, are, why do we have this affordability crisis and what can be done about it? Yeah, uh, it's, it definitely is a crisis, and we may uh, soon be in a hard landing on this crisis if we do not get inflation under control. And during the last year, it's been especially difficult with the inflation, the price of lumber and materials and so forth and so on. And then just the acceptance of these increases. I think, you know, the public needs to be a little bit more offended and voice, um, you know, make their voices heard. Uh, the contraction, that's really hurting us now. There's a contraction going on. Mortgage rates have gone up 2% in just the last couple of months. Uh, the supply and demand with the people moving into Florida, another big issue. But I think one of the issues people overlook, and this has been going on for, I would say, maybe up to 10 years, is that there are certain companies like BlackRock that have really inflated the values over the last 10 years. They come in particularly a state like Florida. They buy up for cash. They bid up the prices so they are above the actual values of a, a home. And so you have this, and they're the largest owner of single-family uh, properties in the United States. Now, the, the, new, the good news is Sadowski Fund, fully funded this year. You have SHIP, you have SALE to help with rent. You have housing, mm -hmm. and there are, oh gosh, a thousand different programs and grants you can apply well, for. that helps. Rosemary, why do, you, why do you think we've got this crisis? Uh, well, uh, you know, I would say, put it this way, Tallahassee has said what it won't do about 
the housing crisis. It won't institute rent controls. It said that it wouldn't raid the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, but they did. It's here they raided it of $100 million. And, um, but they won't say what they will do. You know, our housing crisis is not just about northern transplants coming here and paying cash. It also has to do, as Deborah said, with investors and corporations coming in and buying up all these single-family homes for businesses that rent housing. And in South Florida, 14% of last year's real estate housing sales were to foreign investors. Now, in Canada, they just imposed a two-year pause on foreigners being able to come in and buy houses. Um, what has Florida done to address the housing, the forces at play in the housing market? Nothing. Let me ask Sean. Sean, why do we have this crisis and what can be done about it? And we only have a minute. I agree with a lot of what I heard, but what I'll say is this. Florida is attractive because we are a low-tax state, but as a result of that, Certain decisions have to be made, which means you got to pay for these low taxes. You got to pay for tax cuts. And for a very long time, tax cuts have been paid for by Sadowski funds. Sadowski has been raided billions of dollars over the years. Those raids are what lead to us being a low tax state. So while we are attractive because we're a low tax state, it results in problems like this low, uh, no affordable housing. We raid the tax fund and, uh, and other sorts of problems. This is the trade off. All right. Well, this week, Governor Ron DeSantis vetoed a bill that would have allowed Florida electric utilities to impose steep fees on businesses and homeowners who install solar panels. DeSantis said that because of rising inflation, the state of Florida should not contribute to the financial crunch that citizens are already experiencing. The governor said that because the measure, HB 741, allowed public utilities to impose on solar customers additional charges to recover lost revenues exceeding the public utility's own estimates, he concluded the amount was speculative and would be borne by all customers, solar and non-solar. The bill would have required that solar customers pay all fixed costs of having access to transmission lines and backup energy generation, as determined by the Public Service Commission. On the other hand, the solar customers would not receive any benefits for reducing the utility company's electricity demand. It was a rare victory for the solar industry in Florida and a defeat for Florida Power & Light, the state's largest electric utility, whose lobbyists wrote the first version of the bill. So, uh, Rosemary, let me ask you, uh, this seems to be something outside the governor's usual modus operandi. It was a brilliant political move that surprised a lot of people. Um, but the governor knows how popular solar is. And, and in this election year, he stood up to Florida Power and Light, the you know biggest power company in Florida. But this bill will be back next year. It was one little provision that he objected to about in the two-year phase-out program. And with the power companies being the biggest campaign contributors in Florida, the power companies generally get what the power companies want. All right. Well, before we go, what other news stories should we be paying attention to? And Deborah, we just have 30 seconds for you. 
the other big story. Okay, well, I'm watching school board races throughout the um, the state of Florida. Really excited. Um, you know, kind of tired of seeing school board members cut off parents when they're trying to discuss an issue, bring it to the attention of the school board. And we made Fox News in Sarasota last week with one case and applauding uh, Bridget Ziegler for taking a lead and saying, no, you we will not talk to parents in that manner. And so thank you, Bridget. All right, Rosemary, your other big story. Uh, three people on Thursday filed a federal um, human trafficking lawsuit against Scientology. Leader David Miscavige and five um, affiliated corporations, and they allege um, forced labor, hu uh, abuse, um, sleep deprivation, and uh, that told that if they tried to leave, they would, could face terrible consequences, including death. You know, it's just a mystery that parents who embrace Scientology would allow their children to be treated this way. But, you know, people get seduced by these cults. And um, kudos to these three people for standing up and fighting Scientology, and it's going to be a case to watch. All right. Sean, your other big story. Yeah, I'm honored to be on the panel with Rosemary because uh, she used to work for the paper that I think covered this topic the best, and that's property insurance. So there's going to be a special session on property insurance. And while I, I agree there ought to be that we've got a lot of problems, I don't have any confidence that the legislature and the governor can do anything right on the property insurance. So I'm scared to death that they're going to try to tackle it, but uh, we need to do something about it. Well, Sean, Rosemary, and Deborah, thank you so much for a great program. Thank you. Rob. Happy to be here. And thank you for joining us. Send us your comments at ftwwedu.org. You can view this and past shows online at wedu.org or on the PBS app. And Florida This Week is now available as a podcast. You can find it on our website or wherever you download your podcast. And from all of us here at WEDU, have a great weekend. Florida This Week is a production of WEDU, who is solely responsible for its content.